please stand up. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Radio. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and you are a terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Well, there's a competition going on. Who can get the most media coverage? Uh, radical Islamist terrorists or school shooting terrorists? Yeah, you heard that right. <laughs> we have been, of course, recently uh, hearing much more news about uh, school shooting terrorists than radical Islamist terrorists because, of course, uh, the Florida school shooter, the recent Parkland, Florida school shooting by Nicholas Cruz, which I did my last podcast on, so you can check that out to find out all about him. But there have been a rash of wannabe school shooters following that. Fortunately, uh, the police and security officers, various people, teachers, um, kids have been paying more attention to uh, threats and taking them more seriously. And so plots so far have been foiled, school shooter plots I'm talking about. This whole thing gets very, very confusing because in these cases, you know, where these school shooters, wannabe school shooters have been foiled, um, they have been arrested for making what's called terrorist threats. So let me talk a little bit about terrorist threats and then I'll tell you some of the uh, examples which are primarily in California, by the way, which uh, my home, well, not my home state. My home state is New York. I am a New Yorker, born and bred through and through. But living in California, um, it does particularly disturb me that, uh, that California seems to have a particular, um, high, particularly high number of these wannabe school shooters. So let me tell you about terrorist threats. A terrorist or terroristic threat is a crime and it involves a threat to commit violence that is communicated with the intent to terrorize another. So that is similar to a radical Islamist terrorist. Uh, examples are um, causing the evacuation of a building, causing serious public inconvenience, reckless disregard of the risk of causing such terror or inconvenience, an offense against property or involving danger to another person. It, it can be just one other person, like a husband can make what's called a terrorist threat to his wife if he says, I'm going to kill you, for example. Um, it can be, and, and it can include um, recklessly endangering another person, harassment, stalking, ethnic intimidation, and criminal mischief. So um, there are, you know, this is this is this is going to be this idea of using the same term to talk about um, radical Islamist terrorists and people like school shooters is going to be increasingly confusing because there are increasing numbers of both, actually. So in, a, in legal terms, a terrorist threat not only punishes the speech, you know, the words that the, um, that the terrorist uh, uses, 
but also the intended result of the speech. And yes, radical Islamist terrorists don't always use speech to begin with. Um, but so it's, it's not just punished for the speech, because if it were, it could be, um, it could be contested on the basis of free speech, that, it, you know, that we do have the right to free speech. Uh, so therefore, many states have included a second component which, um, in addition to the offending speech, where it is where the speech is meant to terrorize, harm, intimidate, or disrupt a government function. But again, it doesn't have to have anything to do with governments uh, in these kinds of terrorist threats. It's also called a criminal threat. So first, in order to prove this in a court of law, there needs to be proof that something was said that, be, that can be considered threatening. And, um, and this would be from the victim's point of view. So if a husband tells his wife, I'm going to kill you, uh, the wife obviously would consider that statement threatening. But some threats are more veiled. Now, the second component is the intent of the threat because people make casual threats every day, but you need to, legally, you need to separate these playful threats from the serious or disturbing ones. And so this component um, requires that there be a real intent for the threat to be for some specific illegal purpose, such as to terrorize the victim, to disrupt a public operation or event, to intimidate a witness, to scare a police officer, those are examples. And um, this, you know, so, you know, it's very confusing. I mean, even before, uh, before the Florida shooting, it's been very confusing. We just haven't, been, we don't really hear about terrorist threats that much, unless it relates to what we consider terrorists, the 9-11 kind of terrorists. But, um, so when, when these kids have been arrested recently, uh, for making terrorist threats, it's been kind of confusing when people hear the news. What <laughs> this student was a you know is a radical Islamist. So um, and the consequences for making terrorist threats again not a nine eleven type terrorist is uh, very serious. It could be from sixty days to twenty years, and um, if it's just a you know a, not a very severe threat. It's considered a misdemeanor, but more serious threats like those to kill or cause substantial damage are felonies, and that can include the punishment of up to 20 years in prison. Now, if it's a minor offense, it could be probation, it could be counseling requirements, and so these students who have made threats are likely to get, more likely to get uh, probation, counseling, those kinds of requirements and then being put in jail for 20 years. But let's look at the similarities between uh, radical Islamist terrorists uh, and the school shooter types of terrorists. First of all, they are both literally dying for attention. Dying for attention. Terrorists, I'll, I'll call them 9-11 terrorists, type of terrorists, those terrorists um, choose their, their uh, place, their attack location, their attack uh, victims on the basis of what will make the biggest splash in the media because they are trying to get attention to, for their cause. 
for their uh, anger, for the things that have been done against them, for the things that, they're, um, that they feel are unjust, and because of their misinterpretation of the Quran. But it's all to get attention, okay? And even suicide bombers, you know, people who um, get on airplanes with a suicide vest or go into a crowd with a suicide vest, they, they pick the time and the place and the victim to get the most attention. Well, with school shooters, kids are literally dying for attention as well because they're not getting enough attention from their parents, from the other kids in the school who tend to isolate them, um, you know, ignore them or bully them. You know, that is a kind of attention, but um, not really the kind they want. Um, and so they know from the past, from the attention that school shooters have gotten uh, from Columbine on down, that they are going to make a big splash in the news. Then, of course, another similarity is that in both kinds of uh, terror attacks, they cause terror. You know, school shootings and the normal, usual kind of terror attack. Uh, the point is to cause terror. Also, um, both kinds of terrorist attacks, so to speak, uh, ex are, are opportunities for the so-called terrorist to um, express their rage. Now, the interesting thing is for both kinds of terrorists, uh, I, I don't even like calling school shooters terrorists. It's just that they're, they're, they're arrested on the basis of making a terrorist threat. So this, this whole language is really difficult and unwieldy and confusing. Um, but in any case, so school shooters and radical Islamist terrorists, um, well, in school shooters, they are on the, the fence between being suicidal and being homicidal. Uh, their rage, if they direct it towards themselves, then they commit suicide. If they direct it towards others, the people in the school, then it's homicide. But typically they have, even if they, you know, become school shooters, they shoot people in the school, they have, un at least unconsciously, a desire for committing suicide as well. And many of them expect to be killed by suicide by cop. So there is still this fight inside of them. Same thing with real radical Islamist terrorists. Uh, suicide bombers, of course, are the best example of this, that they are willing to die for their cause. And another similarity is that both school shooters and radical Islamist terrorists are broken, are broken people, have um, a history you know, I've talked about with radical Islamist terrorists, when I put them on my couch after they've committed an attack, I talk about how their, their childhood was dysfunctional in various ways, how many of them then committed petty crimes and wound up in jail and then were radicalized, things like that. So, and school shooters, you know, just like um, the Florida school shooter, Nicholas Cruz, he had an... <laughs> He had sort of the ultimate broken childhood, um, dysfunctional childhood, from being adopted to, you know, from being abandoned by his biological parents. And, and his mother uh, reportedly was a drug abuser. 
and then being adopted and having his adoptive father die when he was six and his adoptive mother die this past November, which seems like it was the latest trigger. But he was, um, you know, he was uh, very, very um, broken in terms of, uh, and, and very ignored in, by everybody. I mean, that was kind of the, he is the ultimate, uh, the, the, a classic example of what makes a uh, school shooter. Um, and one could say what makes a terrorist. Um, but he was, he, all his cries for help were ignored. All, you know, the only thing that was missing was to go into the, um, into the, uh, in front of the school and, and shout, you know, I am going to come back to get you tomorrow. Uh, his, his signs, his warning signs, his red flags were missed by everyone from his adoptive mother to, um, the woman, the couple who took him in after his adoptive mother died. There was a, there was a, a woman who took him in after the adoptive mother died and then a couple and, um, the, but he posted things on the, on the internet. Uh, the FBI ignored him, even though they were warned because of these postings on the internet uh, mental health practitioners who I think all should be fired. Uh, ignored him, didn't diagnose him properly, didn't hospitalize him. So these are just examples. I don't want to get into that again. Just listen to the previous podcast and you'll hear, hear more about that. But the point is that there are lots of similarities between these school shooters and um, radical Islamist terrorists and, you know, which, which are both called, um, said to be making terrorist threats. Uh, and it's confusing in the media. So um, let's look at some of the things, some of the examples of uh, students who have been making terrorist threats in California, as I started to say. Uh, it's been, actually, it's been all over the country. There are reports of students um, making threats to come in and shoot up their school all in, in lots of different states, all over America. And uh, fortunately, as I said, there has been a heightened awareness and a heightened call to report these things. So fortunately, so far, all of these plots have been uh, foiled before they took place. So now one that's been getting a lot of attention in California is a 17-year-old boy who uh, went to El Camino High School in Whittier. And he was, he, he was angry. You know, the things that these wannabe school shooters get angry about or the, the tipping point um, that makes them, you know, make these threats seem like such ridiculously insignificant things, but they are triggers because these are people who are powder kegs. They don't need very much to blow up. And so this particular student, in El Camino High School, he was annoyed because his teacher wouldn't let him wear his headphones. So he was in the, um, in the, uh, I don't know, it was a high school, I don't know if I'd say playground, but in the schoolyard, I guess. And um, he was, um, this was two days after the Florida shooting. And a security officer overheard him threatening to open fire at his high school. And um, 
he said he was he was very specific about it. He said he was going to shoot up the school sometime in the next three weeks. So fortunately, a security officer overheard him saying this to another student. And he, um, he went over to him and he said, what did you say? And the student repeated it. And he claimed it was a joke, but then they went to his home and lo and behold, there were two AR-15 rifles, 90 high capacity magazines and two handguns. And he had a 28-year-old brother whose name is Daniel Eriberto Barcinas. And he um, said that he purchased, he, he, so he was, some of these guns were associated with him. And he said that he bought the guns while he was serving in the army in Texas. One of the rifles wasn't registered, which is a felony. And the brother, this 28-year-old brother, is facing charges of possession of an assault weapon importing a high-capacity magazine, and other violations. Now, here's the kicker. They both lived with their parents, and there was no indication um, the parents committed a crime. Now, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Um, there was apparently, you know, did the parents know about these guns? Um, I mean, you know, again, so much of this really, really goes back to the parents. Um, again, getting it, not getting attention from the parents. I mean, here, this is a beautiful example. Here they have all these, these uh, weapons and the parents, you know, don't do anything about it. Now, we don't know, maybe, um, maybe the parents had guns of their own or, or didn't think, didn't think, or thought it was fine to have these guns. Um, but anyhow, they, they tried, uh, they, they, as I said, the, the student who made this remark tried sloughing it off by saying it was a joke. But when they went to the home, you know, this was enough uh, for the police to go to their home and check it out. And then lo and behold, they found the weapons and then they were able to make these charges against the 17-year-old and his 28-year-old brother. I'm sure the 28-year-old brother is thrilled that his 17-year-old brother made this threat, which caused all these, you know, the police to come to their house and for him to get in trouble. But this is just one example. Um, the threats of violence against schools around the country have increased. And um, there's an organization called the Educators School Safety Network. And that network recorded about 50 threats a day on average, 50 threats a day. You know, it's kind of like radical Islamist terrorists. Yes, lots of plots are foiled, but they only have to have one uh, that's successful and lots of people will be killed. Now, it used to be that uh, there was an average of 10 threats of violence against schools a day, which still sounds like a pretty big amount, but anyway, 10 threats a day. And after Florida, uh, 50 threats a day. Now, why did the uh, number of threats of violence against schools increase so much after the Florida school shooting, which was a, had a particular large amount of carnage and has received a particularly large amount of media coverage? Because everybody wants to be Nicholas Cruz. As sick as that sounds, right? Um, this student 
or ex-student, former student of that school, um, you know, he, he's now charged, he's now in, in jail, he's going to be, he could get life. He's either going to get life in prison without the possibility of parole, or he's going to get the death penalty. Um, so why would everybody want to be him? Why? Because he has gotten a ton, a ton of internet, national and international publicity. He is like, you know, a badass. And kids, especially kids who are feeling ignored, especially kids who are feeling uh, like outcasts at their school, uh, especially kids who are being abused and neglected at home, especially kids who watch a huge amount of violent media, the idea of being Nicholas Cruz, even if you then are captured and uh, put in jail with the possibility of the death penalty, it seems worth it. It seems very romantic. And as I said, besides, these, some of these kids are kids who are really suicidal, and so there's a chance of having death by cop. Um, there have been violent incidents or threats in 48 states. <laughs> 10 states have accounted <coughs> for 48% of all the threats. California leads the list. Then the other top, and the, the others in the top five are Pennsylvania, New York, Florida, and Illinois. So, um, besides the El Camino High School one, there are some other ones in California that are very interesting. And first of all, you know, there, there were some of the other triggers of even younger kids, like 12 year old kids. One student was angry because the teacher took away his Oreo cookie. I mean, that's where we've gotten, folks. That's where our society has gotten. That um, a, a child around 12 years old could be triggered that easily into saying that they want to shoot the teacher or shoot up the school, some commit some kind of acts of violence, act of violence because the teacher took away their cookie. I mean, this, this is really, really scary. And we really do need to do something about it. Another example, crazy example, of another student who threatened violence, another young student, you know, these, are, these weren't 17, 18, or 19 years, year olds. Um, one student was angry and threatened violence because the teacher changed his seat in class. Now, what that means is that they, they are so, things are so, in their life, are so bad that this thing that seems so ridiculously minor could just be the, the, the light, uh, the thing that lights their fuse, that finally makes their ticking time bomb go off. So really what we need to address is what is making these ticking time bombs in the first place. So here are some more examples of kids threatening violence in California. Uh, a 27-year-old, well, he's not such a kid, but a 27-year-old Norco man, um, that's Norco, California, was arrested after he posted on Facebook that he intended to shoot people at a local community college. His name is Jacob Ryan McBain. And he, uh, they searched his home, and uh, they found two loaded AR-15 rifles, two loaded handguns, and a large amount of ammunition. 
Another example, uh, in Inglewood, California, the police became aware of a social media post indicating that students attending a specific Inglewood school were at risk of being targeted by a shooter. Then in Long Beach, California, the Long Beach, Super, Long Beach Unified School District Superintendent alerted parents to an unconfirmed threat that an attack was being planned at Long Beach Polytechnic High School. In St. Mary's County, Maryland, uh, <laughs> not California, two teenage boys are facing charges for making threats of mass violence. And they found dozens of weapons, including semi-automatic rifles, handguns, and ammunition in their home. Uh, more other states, Oregon, uh, a high school student was arrested on suspicion of disorderly conduct after he sent a social media message to a girl at another high school saying, I am the shooter. He was 15 years old, and when he was arrested, he said that the message was just a joke. Montana, a high school student was charged with intimidation and assault with a weapon over numerous threats to shoot up the school, quote unquote, shoot up the school. Um, he's, he was 18 and he said he was joking and he regretted frightening the students. A Vermont teenager pleaded not guilty to attempted aggravated murder and other offenses after he wrote in a diary that he had, quote, big plans, unquote, to kill as many as he could at his former high school. Then going back to California, in Northern California, uh, the police recovered a firearm from the home of an 11-year-old boy who had barricaded himself in a Santa Cruz classroom and planned to harm specific students. 11 years old. I mean, you know, what, what this says most about is the kinds of homes children are growing up in. Because 11 years old, what you are exposed to most at, by that age is your home environment. And these kids are kids who are being abused, neglected, uh, may have some kind of genetic uh, mental illness. They are uh, their parents. They come from broken homes. Their parents are most often divorced, or you know, sometimes there's a death, or sometimes they weren't married in the first place. Single parent homes, um, and and there is. I just can't wait for the information to come out about what violent media uh, Nicholas Cruz watched before he committed the Parkland uh, High School shooting. So, you know, they, they have all this anger built up by the, the abuse and neglect and untreated psychological illness uh, problems and, and some, in some cases mental illness, untreated or insufficiently treated. I mean, the fault not only lies with the parents, I am outraged um, at psychiatrists for, I think, the, you know, a lot of the problem can be blamed on psychiatrists for becoming pill pushers instead of doing therapy because they um, get, uh, it had, you know, because of insurance companies not wanting to pay psychiatrists to do therapy when they could pay psychologists and social workers and marriage and family therapists a lot less to do that same hour of therapy.
And that is a major problem. And certainly in the case of Nicholas Cruz, and presumably in the case of these other cases that I was mentioning to you, I mean, obviously, the kids who are making, even though these plots were foiled, and the kids made uh, terrorist threats, and they made, you know, threats because it comes from anger, whether they want to say they were kidding or not, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of truth is said in jest. And so even though they didn't do anything in these cases I, I mentioned, um, still it is clear that there is a lot of anger in them. And um, that all has to be, has to be investigated. And they need, they need to receive treatment. And there aren't enough people, therapists really out there, well-qualified therapists, um, to give them the appropriate treatment. So um, it's, it's, it's a very sad state of affairs and it can't be solved. You know, this is the key thing. I mean, right now there's all this, this the, the, the hear, things that you're hearing in the media are about the students of, from, Park, from the high school in Parkland um, who are very, very articulate and very passionate and they're out there making marches and um, going to, you know, to talk to, well, they talked to President Trump yesterday and uh, they're talking, you know, they're, they're marching on, on their state. Uh, they went to Tallahassee to ask their state politicians to ban uh, weapons, you know, to ban guns and especially the uh, uh, rifles, the, you know, um, the rifles, the kind of rifles that were used in the Parkland attack and so on. But, and, and you can kind of, I get that because, because they are still hearing gunshots in their ears. You know, they presumably all have PTSD or many of them have PTSD and they can literally, a lot of them can literally hear gunshots still ringing in their ears from the very recent uh, attack at their school. So it's understandable that they would have this sort of knee-jerk reaction to just blame it on guns. If we just ban guns, you know, we won't have any more school shootings. Well, that is not true because the factors that cause school shootings, as I've been talking about today, start way before the person gets their hand on a gun. Now, I am all for um, having tighter restrictions, tighter age restrictions, um, tight criminal background checks, and also psychiatric background checks. If Nicholas Cruz, for example, had been put in a psychiatric hospital as they should have done long ago, many times, there were many occasions that that would have been the appropriate course of action, um, then he wouldn't have been able to buy a gun because that, if that would have been on his record that he was involuntarily committed, that is the kind of person that, at least in some states, can't buy guns. So I'm all for the increasing these um, screening procedures, but there are other things that can be done that should be done that um, don't include banning guns altogether. And I think that the their dialogue, their their pleas, their campaigns are missing these other uh, aspects. I mean what I think are the most, thing, most important things that one can do to uh, prevent school shootings is um, two things. One, I hate to say ban, but um, find a way to limit, um, such as by you know, raising the age limit, just like with guns, um, of, of 
to, of people buying um, violent entertainment, making parents more aware of how dangerous it is to allow their kids to watch hours and hours and hours of violent entertainment. That's number one. And number two is more mental health treatment at younger ages, at elementary school. You know, you can actually tell. I treat children, I treat families. Um, I actually had a, treated a mother, and, and when I say I treat, I am not a pill pusher. I only see patients who will come for me once a week for psychotherapy, as well as if they need medication, I give it to them too. But my primary way of treating people is with psychotherapy. So yesterday, a mother came in, and um, she, her daughter is in sixth grade in a public school in Los Angeles. And she said that she received a message, a recorded message on her phone um, yesterday from the police department in Los Angeles saying that um, the parents should be aware that there are a lot of images posted on, um, the, on the internet of guns. And that, you know, in some of these cases, it's people posting guns with a message to uh, trying to warn people about guns, but that it's still very scary. And it was kind of telling parents that they should talk to their kids about, um, about what's happening, you know, about these school shootings. They should not pretend that these things don't exist. And of course, that's... Uh, <laughs> my book, um, which is about the other kind of terrorist, primarily, uh, radical Islamist terrorists, there are a lot of things that still relate, can be used, um, in fact, for, uh, as a way, because I, I write about how parents can talk to their kids about uh, terrorist attacks, and a lot of these same principles, all of these same principles, or most of these same principles can be used in terms of talking to kids about school shootings. And the key point is you don't pretend they don't exist because you know they hear about them um, on the radio, on television, on the internet. You know, even if they don't say anything, and they don't say anything because they're getting the message from you that you don't want to talk about it, but it is extremely important to talk about it because uh, otherwise they stuff these things down inside of them and that's when where they fester and can actually become uh, more serious psychological disorders if parents and, and teachers don't talk about um, what is going on in the world. It's important to elicit feelings that kids have about this uh, about what's going on in the world, whether they're school shootings or, or real terrorist attacks, um, and, and to let them know that if they have any questions, they can come to you. And of course, as I write about in my book, it's very important, more important than ever, to build resilience in children, whether it's so that they can be stronger when they, um, when they come, when they hear about, uh, when they hear on a daily basis something about terrorism, uh, to be stronger, to not sort of crumble with fear, and similarly to not crumble in the face of the, this increased number of school shootings. So, um, you know, there's a, a new group. I'll just kind of end with this. I think this is a positive. You know, there was in the meetings that the um, some of these students and teachers and parents had with President Trump, um, one of the things that was said was, 
about how, and this isn't really true, but I mean, I mean, to an point, it's true. Um, I think it was a parent who was saying that after 9-11, a lot of things got done or everything was done or, you know, after that, like, I don't know what they were trying to say. There were certainly, certainly can't be after that, there were no more terrorist attacks because there have been. But they were trying to say that after 9-11, a lot more was done to protect Americans against terror attacks than has been done to protect students against school shootings. And, you know, I, I guess that that part is true, but, um, but certainly hasn't, you know, it certainly hasn't eradicated uh, terror attacks. But the point is that, that we need to be taking school shootings more seriously, and I totally agree with that. And, so, and the one thing, you know, I, I usually agree, I think President Trump had a lot of good ideas as to what to do to begin to tackle the school shooting problem. But one of his ideas I don't agree with, and that is uh, the idea of arming teachers. That is not a good idea. And um, that's because teachers have enough of a burden to just to teach in today's classrooms because the classes are filled with students who have more psychological problems than ever. And the teacher has, teachers have become or have had to become uh, psychologists. I mean, not literally, but they've had to, to help kids with their psychological problems before they can teach them anything. And they're already feeling ill-equipped to do that. Um, they also didn't become, teachers didn't become teachers uh, to become policemen, police uh, officers, or security guards. They never signed up to shoot, uh, to have shooting become part of their job description. They wanted to help kids learn. So, um, so this, you know, this is going to, we already need more teachers, and this is going to be something that's going to discourage the good teachers from becoming teachers. Plus, we don't need more guns on school campuses. You know, we don't need more guns with potential access for kids. So if there are guns on school campuses within close enough reach to a teacher to allow them to grab one if a school shooter suddenly comes in, you know, all kinds of accidents can happen where kids get access to the guns. And then last of all, um, it wouldn't deter school shooters if they knew the teachers had guns, because as I was saying before, many shooter, shooters are actually suicidal and they expect to be killed during their shooting spree as suicide by cops. So this would also be just as easily suicide by teacher. So that is not a good idea. But on the whole, the fact that there is more attention being paid to uh, these hints of a threat is, um, shows promise. But again, we have to get to the root of why are all these kids, uh, you know, touched thinking about, talking about 11-year-old kids even, having that much anger in them that they would threaten to, uh, to, sh to commit some kind of acts of violence. And again, kids just like radical Islamist terrorists are literally dying for attention. So thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Radio. Uh, let me give you, before I close, the terror my, my uh, website to go to for more information on terrorism. Uh, it's www.terrorist, 
therapist.com. And to buy the book, the, my new award-winning book, just won the award in London uh, from the London Book Festival. It's called Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. Uh, and that can, that's wherever books are sold, brick and mortar stores, Barnes and Noble and Amazon. And of course, the um, easiest way is from the publisher and their website is terrorismforkids.com, www.terrorism4kids.com. So again, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show and I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist.